Welcome to Capital Musings, the official podcast of the United Nations Capital Development Fund. If this is your first episode, welcome. If you've been listening to our previous episodes, thank you. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, as well as our platform on Captivate FM and on our website, uncdf.org. Today's guest is really one of the preeminent, if not the preeminent thought leader when it comes to the concept of blended finance. This is a financial concept that has gotten a lot of excitement and drawn a lot of attention, but there seems to still be a fair amount of confusion in terms of what it exactly is and what we can realistically expect it can accomplish, specifically in the context of financing the Sustainable Development Goals. I'm here with Joan Larea. She is the Chief Executive Officer of Convergence. Convergence is a global network for blended finance that generates blended finance data, intelligence, and deal flow to increase private sector investment in developing countries. And this is particularly important for us in terms of UNCDF, uh, number one, because we are dedicating a significant portion of our communications resources and output towards blended finance for this calendar year because it is critical towards the achievement of the SDGs, and in particular in developing nations generally and the LDCs in particular, because the signal promise of the SDGs is to leave no one behind. But how will blended finance enable us to do that? How will it enable sustainable development to reach the communities and the countries where it's needed the most? Again, I can't think of a better guest to answer those questions than Joan. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, David. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. So I'm going to start with what may seem on its face to be a basic question, but actually isn't. Because when we hear the term blended finance, I think people just automatically assume that it's just this mix of public and private investment capital. But It's clearly deeper, it's clearly much more complex, and there's clearly a lot of different variations and versions of blended finance models that we see out there today and that we could see in the future. So just at a 30,000-foot level, can you share with us, in your view, what is blended finance? Sure. What we track at Convergence and what we support at Convergence is blended finance in which you have the strategic use of concessional capital. I'll come back to that in a moment to draw private sector commercial capital, I'll come back to that in a moment, into investments that it otherwise wouldn't do for the purpose of achieving the sustainable development goals. So what's concessional capital? You might also call it catalytic capital. It's any capital that is not operating on full market principles. In a shorthand way, you could consider it capital as buying impact. Mm -hmm. It may also want a return. It may not want a return at all. It might be a grant. It might be patient debt, but somehow it's capital that's not coming into a transaction on fully commercial terms. Then commercial private capital is what it sounds like. It's what Citibank works with. It's what a private equity fund works with. It is pension fund money, insurance company assets. It's money that absolutely needs to be compensated for the risk that it's taking. It is looking for a totally market risk return profile. So blended finance transactions where you put those two forms of money together. It's not always public-private. The soft money, the concessional money, the catalytic money, whatever you want to call that, may very well be coming from a philanthropic party or an impact investor that has made the decision to soften its commercial requirements for the purpose of getting that transaction done. Thanks for clarifying that because... You already mentioned philanthropic organizations. There's clearly a multitude of actors that can and do get involved in that space. But before we get there and before we talk about maybe the different models of blended finance, I just find it curious because in the various conversations that are had about blended finance, 
I dare say you don't always get a ton of uniformity in terms of the definition. I will say that in terms of what you laid out in terms of the strategic use of concessional and commercial capital, that is very much the definition that UNCDF adopts. But that said, hardly the universal definition, at least yet. So just why have we not quite reached that universal definition of what blended finance is? I think that we are all still in the early days of setting out the definition. Hmm. Convergence is probably the only institution out there whose full-time day job it is to pay attention to blended right. finance. So I would say we have a big stake in it. Sure. However, there are others who also are measuring the use of, for example, official development aid, which is sometimes going into blended finance, and so they have a stake in it as well. So I think part of it is just there has been no community of practice around blended finance until the Addis Ababa Action Agenda in which the SDGs were promulgated. Mm -hmm. That promulgation led to the discussion of blended finance because it was critically obvious that you needed to get private sector capital flowing toward these SDGs or they were never going to be reached. So without a community of practice, you don't have standardization of definitions. I want to draw the distinction between the definition and the practice. Although there is no community of practice until, say, 2016, 17, 18 to today, I think you can probably find examples of blended finance going way back 50 years. Sure. It was just that nobody called it that. Nobody was sharing their experience. There was no pattern being set. There was no community around it. Sure. So I expect there to be some fumbling around the definition in the early days of trying to establish a community around this subject matter. It's interesting you bring it up because that kind of begs the question. On the one hand, as you mentioned, we're in the early stages. But on the other hand, this blending of capital, as you mentioned, has been around for a long time. So I guess the question is, and it may very well have been, as you already mentioned, with the Addis Ababa action agenda, but was that the catalyst? What's the catalyst that has now brought us into this new era in terms of blended finance where there's not only so much attention, but so much intentionality towards it? That's a great word. Um, <laughs> Absolutely Thank a you. great word. <laughs> it's happening now. Yes, I would, I would pin it on the sustainable development goals. Sure. They paint a stark picture if you look at the amount of investment needed to achieve them and the amount of money at the table in the form of official development aid and philanthropic resources. Totally the wrong number of zeros behind the second. Sure. And then you look over at the real world, the capital markets, the investment world, and trillions fly by every day. So blended finance hmm. became an obvious thing right when SDGs came out, although it still wasn't being defined, although there was no community around it, because you cannot get the trillions into the subject matter any other way. And in a sense, when that becomes very stark as a reality, those who are in the business of deploying philanthropic money or tax money into grant-funded programs, they have a bit more of a, not a cover, but a premise mm -hmm. on which to engage with the private sector. Hmm. I think until you begin speaking of blended finance, you're in a world where those are the other guys doing the commercial stuff, and they're not in our world. And when you start to realize the price tag attached to the SDGs, oh my goodness, they are in our world, or they have to be in our world. Now I, on the donor side, or I on the concessional side, have a good premise on which I can engage and not be seen to be fill in the blank, selling out, engaging with the yeah. enemy, using tax money to make the rich guy richer, however you see it. But sure. you suddenly now have an argument for engaging. Sure. 
And thanks for bringing up the SDGs. And I think Obviously, they've had a tremendous catalytic effect. So in that regard, let's bring it back to the practical. If we're going to see more blended finance vehicles come online specifically to focus on SDG investment, this goes back to the previous question about models. What are the different models that that may take? So in our work tracking what is happening in the market, we see the same structures happening over and over and Hmm. over again. And that's in the nature of finance in general. When something works, it kind of works the second and third time too with tweaks. Sure. So that's pretty exciting because you're demystifying. When you start to draw out what these patterns are, you can demystify for the market what's out there. And we see blended finance taking four or five shapes. If you go onto our website, there are diagrams of all of them. But essentially, sometimes it's the concessional money coming in as technical assistance. Sometimes it's coming in as inside the capital structure of the entity in a junior position. Sometimes it's entering first and hoping that the commercial money will come behind it. And sometimes it's an insurance product or a guarantee stapled onto a transaction to reduce the risk. Hmm. We also see development impact bonds or other performance incentivizing structures. But there really are just a few shapes and forms of blended finance that happen habitually. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting finding all by itself. Absolutely. It provides you a roadmap if you're trying to do these things. Sure. But you also anticipate that there will be new innovations and new variations of blended finance coming online in the future. Yeah. I might be swimming against the stream here, but I'm not totally a fan of innovation. (laughs) I really, really like- If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Wash, rinse, repeat. If you see a transaction that works, do it again, do it bigger, add your money to the same vessel before you go and innovate. I mean, we are running short of time, and innovation has a time frame attached to it. Thank you for that. That's a fascinating point. I'm curious, as you mentioned at the top, you're the head of an organization that may be the only organization that is eating, sleeping, and living blended finance. So what that means is that your engagement with the private sector and the public sector has that specific focus as well. I'd love to hear a little bit about, from a general standpoint, what does that engagement look like in terms of engaging with public sector directors, I assume at the national government level, but maybe even at the municipal or whatever government level you're interacting with, and then also your private sector engagement in terms of blended finance. What are you getting from those actors, from those partners? What's their interest level? What are they looking for? What are their concerns? Yeah. So we operate as a membership organization. And you're right. We exist on this fault line between all of these parties, and they all are members of ours. So the donor institutions, the development banks, the totally private you know, equity firms, the institutional investors, the philanthropic organizations, they're all members of ours, and they're all interested in a particular subset of what we're doing. And each one of those categories is interested in a different subset. And then some of them will surprise us. So for example, generally donor agencies are short on structuring expertise and finance knowledge. They have lots of capital at their disposal. I know they feel cash constrained, but they actually have incredibly powerful capital. When you're willing not to ask for a market return, that's incredibly catalytic. So they have capital. They're not sure what to do if they want to do blended finance. It's very intentional, Mm -hmm. but it needs help. So they're interested in information, in examples of what their peers have done. They're looking for evidence that what they're about to embark on is a reasonable course. When you go to the private sector side of the house, 
these people can do a finance transaction before they brush their teeth in the morning. Right. They're really, really good at this. And so are the development banks. They structure things all day long as well. Yeah. They are looking sometimes for partners across the table. They are looking competitively to know what their peers are doing because mm. everything's a competition in the private world, sure. even blended finance. Hmm. They are looking for ways to address a real live investment issue they have. I'm a fill in the blank. I am an asset manager. I want to place capital in a particular market or in a particular theme or sector. I have an investment strategy, but when I look around, every single transaction I could do is a bit too risky or way too risky mm -hmm. for me to do. Okay, now I need to find somebody else's money to work with me. So when people come to Convergence, when different institutions come to us, they want sometimes wildly different things, but it's the same watering hole because what we're doing on the knowledge side connects to what we're doing on the showcasing of transactions that are hunting for capital. And that connects to our grant making for proof of concept stage and feasibility stage concepts. Each of these areas of our operations informs the next. So we can talk to the private sector with confidence about what the donor community wants. We can talk to the donor community with confidence about the kinds of transactions that are possible. We can choose well in our granting program because we're seeing deal flow and we know what donor interests are. So we exist on this fault line. And you're right, we're there all day long. And what each constituency wants is different, but each feeds on the other pieces of it. It's really kind of thrilling to watch it happen. Sure, of course. And obviously, what I think part of the reason that blended finance is such a topic of conversation in this space is because it seems to elicit a lot of optimism about the potential to actually finance the sustainable development goal agenda. Having said that, and this is a term that you're very aware of, particularly in the development space, the whole billions to trillion. Let me guess. Yes, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, it's just the standard parlance, but because it's literally where we need to go, that is the growth that we need to see in terms of investment in order to achieve what we're looking to achieve. So I think there are a number of people who, as of now, aren't necessarily seeing that trajectory. And I think, again, while there's been a fair amount of promise right now, there's still a gap between the reality and the promise. And there was, in fact, a report that Convergence and UNCDF had worked on where we found that a tiny percentage of the private capital that was catalyzed through official development, a tiny percentage of that blended finance actually made it to the least developed countries, somewhere in the realm of 7%. So I guess the question to you is, if we're taking a more of a sober look, we're not right now at the billions to trillions. Why not? And what do we need to do to get there? So the report that I think might be helpful for your listeners to turn to at some point is the State of Blended Finance 2019 report that we put out a couple of months back. Which, by the way, we will post along with this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And in it, we have observed from the data we have collected about who's doing what in the blended finance sphere. We know about, whatever, $140 billion worth of business in the past, say, 10 years. Blended finance is happening at a rate that we can document at about $15 billion of transactions a year. That's way undercounting the real market. There's a lot out there that we haven't been able to capture yet because we're four years in, we're new, and this stuff is hard to capture. Sure. But that is billions. $15 billion a year is not the same as trillions. I mean, again, wrong number of zeros. And for us to get to the trillions number, and coming back a second to the State of Blended Finance report, we observed 
very soberly that we're at the billions to billions level. We are not at the billions to trillions Billions level. to billions, okay. Yeah, we yeah. are billions to billions. So we are not cheerleaders for this practice in the sense of trying to tell everybody, ah, it's all happening. No, right. we have work to do. Right. And we have 10 years left. I'm sitting here in January 2020, and I'm yeah. painfully aware of that. So what has to happen to get us to a different level? You mentioned intentionality a few minutes back, and I said it's a wonderful word. But capital markets, institutional money, operates in the trillions. A trillion dollars changes hands every day in the capital markets. There are $300 trillion worth of financial assets out there. That's the right order of magnitude for this problem. But that money is not intentional. That money flows like water. If you are managing a pension fund, you're managing somebody's pension that you're going to have to pay to that person every two weeks when they hit 65, come no matter what. So you're going to be very conservative about where you place that capital, and there are going to be regulations on you about where you can go. And there's some countries that are totally off limits. There's some structures that are totally off limits. So that money is bound up in knots in a sense. It, oh, I'm mixing metaphors, aren't I? <laughs> if capital flows like water, I guess I'm going to say that going to some markets and going to some SDGs is like hitting a rock in the stream. The water is going to flow the around that flow opportunity. Around Maybe I'm back on the right metaphor now. So what is intentional money? is the donor money, the philanthropic money, the catalytic money. Up to now, most of it, you know, 98% of it or more, has said, I'm going to put my money out the door and do the most good that I can do with my dollar bill. Right. It has not yet gotten intentional, systematically intentional, if you can pile on words, about saying, I'm going to take my dollar bill and shop around and see whose dollar bill I can lure into investing in my objective right. unintentionally. Right. So I'm going to be intentional with my money in a way that allows the unintentional flowing like water money to flow smack into where I want it to go. I'm going to remove the rock in a sense. Mm -hmm. So intentionality is really important. What that means is if we're going to move from billions to trillions, that money has to overtly say in some senses, we exist in order in part to move the institutional money out there, not everything. Not everything is a solution for blended finance. Not every structure can operate at a billion dollars. But we need that money to step up and say, we're going to become very intentional. And that means designing backwards. It means saying, okay, if I want to do a billion dollar transaction or a $500 million transaction so I can draw on a pension fund, what do they need? And depending on what they need, you structure your money around that. Mm -hmm. Okay. If, if they need a floor return or a capped return or tenor that's no, no more than three years, design your money into the transaction that achieves that for them. Because that money is not intentional money. That money just needs to flow to the most efficient place, okay. mathematically efficient place. It's a separate issue. So getting scaled transactions and getting to the trillions is hugely important. There is a community of practice around that that's forming. Convergence is talking to a number of donor agencies who are really, really interested in this subject matter. How do we put those kinds of transactions out the door and attract that kind of money? That's really thrilling. We're excited to be a part of that conversation. But separately, how do you get, you mentioned LDCs, how do you get blended finance to draw money into the LDCs? Now, I would take a slight issue. You are right. The report that Convergence contributed to that UNCDF put out that talked about blended finance in the least developed countries and in frontier economies, it did mention that something like 7 or 8% of blended finance is happening in those markets. But I would point out that probably 
something around that order of magnitude of investment flows in general are happening right. in those countries. And those countries' economies represent a small percentage of the economy of the world. Sure. So if you're going to address LDCs with blended finance, I would suggest it's probably not the billions to trillions game. It's a separate agenda. Right. It is being very intentional about designing transactions that will get money to operate in very specific high-risk neighborhoods or markets. And what UNCDF does, that, which is, I think, thrilling, is working with the local capital markets. Mm -hmm. That's the money most likely to take the first risk in a country. Sure. It's in the right flavor. It's in the right currency. And it knows the market. It's not looking across a border. It's looking locally at its own home market. It's better informed money. So actually, it's a separate agenda. They're both important. So billions to trillions, moving the institutional capital, hugely important. You've got to do it. We're not doing it. LDCs, it's a different, I would say, subset of donor agencies working on that issue. Mm -hmm. And there has to be, you know, a set of solutions for that as well. But I feel like they may be two different conversations. Sure. And I think on our end, particularly in the LDCs, one of our focuses is also on using blended finance to capitalize SMEs. And so what we've seen in our work is that when SMEs, particularly innovative SMEs, are able to scale, that's really where you have the potential to drive some real transformative effects. But they are in this, what's often called this missing middle gap where their ticket requirements are, they're too large for microfinance, too small for basically any other lender of impact. And so that's where we're trying to come in on the blended finance side. But you're right, the LDCs present obviously a very particular problem set or challenge set, I should say. So I'm curious if you ever hear concerns about blended finance. And now we're going from kind of the front end on the finance side to the impact side. And if you ever hear concerns about catalytic capital being used towards projects that maybe aren't quite aligned with a sustainable development agenda. So I guess how can we best ensure that blended finance flows are actually supporting the right projects? Right. So let me work backward toward an answer, if I may. So Part of why convergence was established was to create evidence around blended finance. And the most difficult evidence to come up with is the evidence about how transactions performed a fact, because that's not publicly available information. Hmm. To go into a transaction that already transpired three or four years ago and say, what were you originally projecting and how did it turn out, is a lot dicier than to say, tell me about the deal you signed yesterday and what you're hoping to do. Mm -hmm. We want to get there. And that's part of our research agenda going forward. It's a challenge. Sure. Because people have to tell you sometimes that deals didn't go perfectly. I live in the real yeah. world. I've done transactions all my life. And the old expression is uh, the only people who've never done a bad deal are those who've never done a deal. Right. Things go wrong. They go sideways. They go differently than expected. They sure. take longer than expected. They just, you know, reality is messier than your hopes and your plans. So we need to get there. And what would also be helpful is if we started to have donors benchmarking their regular operations. You're like, tell me in your normal grant operations what kind of impact you're getting per dollar out the door so that if somebody's applying to you to be their partner in a blended finance transaction, they know what they have to beat to attract your money. That would be interesting as well. So those are all Joan's hopes for future agenda for convergence. Going back to the question you asked me around the structure you're in is actually targeting the right SDG. I think at any time any institution puts funds out the door, you lose a bit of control, and hopefully things go the right way, and hopefully they do well. 
And that's true whether you're putting your money into a financial structure or whether you're handing it to an NGO to execute on a charitable purpose. Sure. So when you're in a financial structure, this is where donor agencies might not naturally have the skill set to make it go right, and they really need to make sure they're up to speed. Your money has a price tag. It isn't an interest rate necessarily. It is not a return on equity. It is an impact outcome. Mm -hmm. So if you are shifting into investment mode, in a sense, with your money, even if you don't want it back, you have to state your ask explicitly. So donor agencies, philanthropic agencies, all need to get really smart about terms and conditions for their money. You know, what is the impact you're seeking? How will the metrics be designed? What is the hurdle rate for those metrics? Mm -hmm. You know, how many units of impact per dollar are you asking for? And how are you going to measure it? Just because you're writing a check into a financial transaction does not excuse you, the party with the taxpayer money or the philanthropic resources, from exercising that duty of care. Right. And you need to track that transaction all the way through its lifespan and see if it is performing or not, just as if you were hoping to get 4% rate of return on yeah. it or 8% rate of return. You're, yeah. you're looking for number of units of output of impact. Sure. So I would say in your due diligence, choose a business or a project whose course would naturally yield the impact and then sit on its head and pay attention. Sure. Just as if you were asking for an interest rate back. Absolutely. Thank you. So we're down to the last two questions, and we ask the same penultimate question of all of our guests, which is just tell us about the journey that brought you to where you are today. And we've asked this of our staff, our external guests. What's the journey that brought you to be CEO of Convergence? I think I'm a blended finance product in life experience as well. Mm -hmm. I was a foreign service kid, lived in places that were not wealthy, and also saw people of extreme wealth. So that wakes you up at an early age, and it also shakes you out of thinking that your country is the only country on earth and every place works like your country. So you get really much more aware. And then I also have a liberal arts degree as well as a hard finance degree. It's sort of a salad of different things, if you will. I have worked in the public sphere at IFC and in the private world of private equity investing. U.S. government at OPIC, and now Convergence. And I think having sat in different institutions with different motivations and different pressures and different drivers is really healthy. It builds empathy, just like my early life experiences, I suspect, have placed a lot of empathy in my makeup. And at Convergence, it's all about being able to talk multiple languages and understand multiple different objectives and relate to different institutions' needs and to try to translate, you know, back and forth among all of them. So I think my life journey sort of set me up for this by making sure that I'm not a single background person, but I've been in different worlds and different situations. And so now working at Convergence, which, again, it's the fault line or the watering hole between many different worlds, mm -hmm. many different kinds of actors, it's quite easy for me to see everybody's perspective. Sure. You can imagine why a pension fund won't do something that a donor wants them to do. You can imagine why a donor has trepidations about going into business with a for-profit entity. I can imagine all of it. So yeah. I think somehow being quite well-rounded and not too deep in any one place helps a lot in this job. Well, particularly, I guess, again, the context of, of blended finance, it seems that the organizations and the actors that are going to drive it are 
if I can allude to your experience in terms of your knowledge of the Foreign Service, they're translators. I mean, it's really this ability to be conversant in development and finance and how to operate in that now ever-growing intersection. And it seems like at the same time that more and more people are learning how to converse in both languages, the vocabulary itself is expanding at the same time. So it's interesting in the dual or multiple sense of that word. So thank you for that. I'd like to close just by talking about, as you mentioned, we are in 2020. It's widely acknowledged that this is the decade of implementation for the SDGs. And I appreciate your expressed misgivings about innovation and not disrupting what we have found to work. But what do you see as kind of the trends or just what can we anticipate from this realm of blended finance? I'm not asking you to look 10 years down the road, but as we do enter this decade of implementation, and as the urgency of achieving the SDGs becomes more and more pronounced, what can we expect from this blended finance space? Well, our vision is to use blended finance to make the SDGs investable in developing markets. Mm -hmm. And what that looks like in our minds at Convergence is that an easy $100 billion a year of business is getting done just amongst the members of the Convergence network. So we have that ambition. I think if things go right, what we would like to see in the field of blended finance, first of all, is standardization. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that every transaction can look like every other transaction, but there are other fields of finance in which, and I, I joke about this sometimes, that people flip to page 26 of the negotiating documents because they already know the definitions, the structure in the first 26 pages, and they're just getting down to the details. We'd love it if there were some blended finance transactions that benefited from all the other ones that looked like them before and that people could just reel these things off in a much faster fashion than they are today. So standardization, acceptance of terms, acceptance of who takes what role in a transaction, that would move the field forward and allow transactions to roll off the assembly line a whole lot faster. It would also lead to more scale. If everybody is used to seeing certain kinds of structures, you can grow those up without people thinking that something new is happening. And finance, money does not like new things. It wants to be able to tell itself that this is deal number five in a series, not deal number one. Nobody actually likes deal number one. Right. Guess what? You know, they don't like <laughs> deal number one. They like deal number five. First green bond, very nervous. Sure. Hundredth green bond, nobody bats an eye. Right. Right? Sure. Okay. So I think standardization and scale are things that we really want to see happen. We would like to see localization, local voices emerge. So right now, the discussion is all among the donors and the, the financial parties. It's pretty important to have, think about it, you know, Nigerian firms who mm -hmm. know how to do blended finance and development banks that are regional development banks in Africa or Asia know how to do blended finance or a Brazilian entity that's doing conservation finance that uses blended finance structures habitually. We need more local voices, not just to tell us all where the money should go, but also to bring up different kinds of experiences and knowledge. So I think localization is also an important thing. So standardization scale, localization, these are a few of the things that I think would really propel the field forward and get us where we need to go by 2030. That is a fantastic way for us to close and really thank you for an incredibly enlightening conversation on what is an important issue, but there's still a lot of questions surrounding it. We're talking about blended finance, Joan Larea, CEO of Convergence, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. And just to put in a Please. final note, 
a lot of our information is out there for the public. Please. And it's at www.convergence.finance. Go to our landing page for Blended Finance 101 information for structures. We've got on our resources page all sorts of case studies, which are fascinating to read about how transactions actually got done. So have at it. Use the resources. They're there for your education, and we'd love your feedback. And we will post their 2019 report as we post this podcast as well. Capital Musings is a product of the Partnerships Policy and Communications Unit of United Nations Capital Development Fund. Fernando Zarauz and Carlos Macias are our producers. Thanks very much for listening, and you'll hear from us soon. Thank you.